Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson. Recording this on Monday, March 7th, it was like temperatures were in the 80s yesterday and they're in like the mid 40s today because San Antonio weather is weird. Um, that's that's my conclusion. Um I'm not a meteorologist, but that's that's what I've what I've come up with. Um, and we're really glad to be judgment. <laughs> we're joined today by uh, San Antonio uh, political consultant who's worked on so many campaigns and is and is increasingly working on uh, big campaigns out of the state. Was involved in uh, helping uh, in the effort on Georgia's part to uh, to make the U.S. Senate uh, put it in Democratic control. Um, Laura Barbarena, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here, Gilbert. Thank you for having me. Well, I, I wanted to start with the uh, your 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 thoughts on the the county judge race, uh, not only because it was the biggest one that we had in last week's primary, but also because it's one that you worked on. You you uh, were a consultant for the campaign of former district court judge Peter Sakai, who f- finished first in the race, got more than forty percent. He'll now go to a runoff. Uh, against state representative Ina Minjadas. But, you know, so, so many people uh, viewed this race, I, I, and I was kind of one of them who thought this was just a complete toss-up. I really had no idea how this was going to go. But uh, Peter Sakai really, um, you know, outpaced the rest of the field. Um, was there, you know, what, to what do you attribute, you know, the fact that you had, you had three, you know, formidable candidates, they had pretty strong resumes, and they had all had... Um, you could make political cases for any of them, you know, as, as being a, a potential favorite. But, you know, what to what do you attribute his his success in this primary? Uh, well, there's a, a lot of things and I'll I'll try to break them down as succinctly as possible. But, you know, I think first and foremost, people know Judge Sakai. They know him. He's been a, a district judge for over 26 years and has been on the bench really fighting for families and children in Bear County. And that that sort of Sakai brand, if we'll call it, we can call it. Um, I think it's really it's really permeated amongst the San Antonio community. Uh, they know that Judge Sakai's values are. They know what he stands for, and there's a real understanding or a sentiment that he he cares for them, right? Um, and and you couple that with his wife Rachel Sakai, who is um, just a force to be reckoned with in this community. In fact, she was just named. Um, it, inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame this past weekend for the mm-hmm. work that she's done in volunteerism. Um, she's just an, an incredible person there, an incredible couple who really care about the community. And I really feel that um, that, that really resonates with voters, right? You know, you we talk about when I teach people how to run for office, it's like, you know, why do people vote? It's like, you know, well, first of all, you know, does a candidate know me? Do they care for me? And will they fight for me? And I think when they go through that litmus of that litmus, test, I think the Sakai's check every box. Um, and so just very, very happy with the outcome. Still got to get it over the finish line, right? Runoffs uh, are not, uh, we start at zero again. So, uh, but at least we are coming into it in a, in a strong position. Right. You, you start at zero and with the expectation that you're going to have a much lower turnout. So how is, how is Peter Sakai's campaign going to differ in the runoff. Well, yeah, I appreciate that question, Greg, because runoffs are just so different. They're different animals uh, and they're different voters. And so you've really got to really cater the messages to who you who we believe will be coming out to vote. Um, 
so we know that in primary elections, you typically have, you know, people who are much more um, information savvy or they're, they're higher information voters, if you will. Um, when you get into runoffs, you're getting into a much more, um, this, is, this is really about super informed voters, right? Uh, in terms of your base of who's coming out. These are going to be super informed voters. And when we talk about um, voter enthusiasm, right? So like, um, that's really, if you've got voters who are highly enthusiastic about their candidates, uh, chances are they're going to come back again, right? So, and I felt like it, it, throughout the campaign, we were really seeing uh, as we were knocking on doors and talking to folks and being out at the polling sites, that there was just this incredible sense of um, just, just a, a lot of excitement around uh, uh, Peter's candidacy. So I think that that kind of enthusiasm can translate well for us in a runoff. Um, but and then you have a lot of folks, you know, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but that was a long ballot that we were, we were voting on. And so you had a lot of folks who maybe didn't, aren't normal voters or who aren't, you know, high information voters are coming to the polls because they are next door neighbor, their cousin or their hairdresser's, you know, cousin is running for office. So you've got these folks. And so they may not be as well informed. And we imagine that those folks will start to peel off a little bit. And that's why we typically think that runoffs are consist of, of a smaller base of folks. Um, but we're still going to reach out to to everyone because, I mean, that is a misnomer. A lot of people think that if they have not voted in the original election, that they're mm-hmm. not allowed to vote in the runoff. And that's not true. So anyone can vote in this runoff election except for anyone who voted in a Republican primary. So you could even be a Republican and vote in a Democratic primary. You just ha- cannot have voted in the Republican primary of this year. So um, I do think, you know, getting that message out and... It'll be very interesting. And then going back to your original question, which is like, what are we going to do differently? I think Peter's going to, Judge Sakai will dig deeper into his policy platform. Um, He touched upon it a little on the first election. Now he's really going to come down and drill down into what his specific ideas are so that uh, that can, you know, reach out to those voters who are high information seeking voters who are looking for what these uh, candidates really, really stand for. Now that it, my, my sense was that I think maybe this there was even some sense within the campaigns that it was going to be a, a a battle between um, Eva Lise Mesa Gonzalez and Inamin Hades to get into the runoff with Peter Sakai, and um, I think those two campaigns to some degree were kind of focusing on each other. Um, now that you got a one on one runoff campaign uh, between Peter Sakai and Inamin Hades, do you anticipate that the campaign is going to get negative on either side? No, I don't think it'll get negative. I think what you'll see is you'll be more comparative um, it, to show sort of what do these two candidates bring to the table? What are the experiences? Um, just as a side note, interestingly enough, I actually worked on Ina's first two campaigns when she very first right. ran for um, office. So I was part of the campaign team that was in her first initial run as a state rep because that was a special election. And then the runoff that she made and then the following election after that. So um you know, I just I just want to throw that in there, folks that are listening. But um, yeah, I think this will definitely be more of a comparative. It, and, and I don't know if that's, I mean, some people call it negative. I don't necessarily think it's negative. I think it's, you know, really sort of showing each of these people's experiences and what their values are. Because at the end of the day, and, I, and I'm going to ask you guys this just straight up, what does a county judge do? Like, what do they do? Right. It's not like they're a legislator or, you know, who's you know, pushing policy. It's not like they're a council person who's, you know, filling potholes and things like that. Like, so, you know, what do county judges do? 
does anybody know? Yeah. Oh, are you asking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, are you listening? Uh, that, was the, that was an actual question. Yeah. Well, well, we don't do that on this podcast. We ask the questions. We answer. But my, my point is, is that because it's like you know, and I and as we kind of sit there, well, gosh, what is it that they do, right? So the point is, is that that's where it really gets into like. Who are these people? What do they stand for? What do they represent? And what are their priorities, right? Do they really stand for the democratic principles? Because when you think about what Judge Nelson Wolf is, who he is, what he does, you know, it he, he sort of symbolizes a value system that we have, right? So to me, this election is about who symbolizes the true values that we have as Democrats and in Bear County. And it's our job to show that Peter is the one who represents that value priority. Because ultimately, that's kind of what judges do, the, the, the county judges do, in my opinion. So it appears that, kind of along those lines, that Nelson Wolf, what he's on record is saying is, hey, he likes both, you know, Minhades and, and Peter Sakai. They're both solid candidates. Are you talking with him uh, to, to try to get his outright endorsement? Um, I have personally not talked to him. I, you know, as a campaign, I've, I've, I know that right. Peter's spoken to him. Um, obviously, you know, in politics, if you don't ask for it, you won't get it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think it's pretty clear that he wants to stay out. And, and I, you know, I respect that. I'm glad that he's letting, you know, the voters decide, and he doesn't want to put his thumb on the scale um, mm-hmm. as, you know, as to who would be serving in the next county judge. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he's letting sort of the voters parse all this stuff out to determine who really can continue doing this work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, with an endorsement comes this notion of, Oh, well, is this a continuation of, of what judge Nelson Wolf has done in these past years? Or are we looking at sort of a new fresh direction, something different? Uh, and I think mm-hmm. both of these candidates offer something new and fresh and different. So I'm glad that the, that the judges sort of choosing to stay out and in some sense so that, that their own messages can come out as to what they offer and what their priorities are for the county. So how exactly would, would Judge Sakai's uh, direction differ from Nelson Wolf's? Well, I think that's a great question for you to ask Peter. So I'm going to, I'm going to respectfully say, have him on your podcast and have him, uh, have him come on there because really, I I really think that he's really the best person to articulate that. And I would love for you to have him on the show to be able to talk about that. Um, you know, he's, he's always had, um, you know, families and children uh, as a priority, but, you know, I think he's, looking at, you know, the jail, the justice system, education, infrastructure. He really wants to tackle the digital divide. He wants to expand on what Bibliotech is doing. Um, you know, obviously looking at healthcare, we've got a brand new hospital coming up. Like, what does that mean for the community and reaching out to ensure that we continue to provide access to healthcare? How do we deal with this issue of property tax? You know, obviously it's not something that the county judge can deal with. It's more of a state state legislative uh, issue, but you know, what can we do as county government to apply pressure to those folks in Austin so that they can realize that you know, you're pricing people not out of homes, but out of their um, medications and groceries. Um, so you know, all these issues are important to, to, to Judge Sakai, and, and I, I hope the voters will take a moment to really look at him and see what, um, what he offers. Laura, on the, on the Republican side, uh, we've got uh, Trish DeBerry, who has based her campaign on the idea that 
this could be a Republican wave year and that there's this potential for um, an opportunity there, which hasn't really existed for for Republican candidates in the county judge race in Bayer County. Um, and she gave up her county commissioner seat, you know, on basically on, on that hope. Um, I mean, obviously, I know you're a Democrat. I know where you're coming from on this, but do you do you see a reasonable uh, opening there for a Republican candidate in that county judge race? Well, I will never, ever want to take anything for granted in, in these elections, right? Um, you just can't. You have to assume that these are formidable races that are going to be fought. And so a couple of things on, on, on that note is, number one, coming out of this Democratic primary, we need to have a strong candidate who can really, um, <laughs> how do I say this, meet the task of running against a Trish DeBerry. I've, I've had the opportunity to run campaigns against her. Um, I represented uh, Christine Vasquez-Hortek when she ran for County Commissioner Precinct 3. And I can tell you that Trish DeBerry is a formidable candidate, formidable candidate. Not only is she articulate, um, she understands the issues, and she'll be able to raise some money. So I think coming out of this Democratic primary, we really have to think about who would be the best candidate to face Trish DeBerry and be able to overcome that and, and win. Now, as far as will this be a Republican wave, um, I don't know. I, 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 I'd, I'd like to think it's not. I'd like to hope and pray that it's not, uh, considering the kinds of things that the Republican Party has been um, advocating for, um, which to me, I think are unconscionable, but we can get in that on another podcast, Greg. Um, but uh, when, when you just look at this turnout uh, of this particular primary, if it's if this is sort of like a little window into what we can anticipate in November, you know, the Democrats in total turnout, you know, we had about 52% and, uh, to the Republicans, 48%. Now, that gap did decrease a little bit because in 2018, I think Democrats were at about 55% and Republicans were at 44%. But I would expect that kind of a of a, of a sort of a ex decrease in, in, in the gap because there were so many contested Republican primary races. Yeah. People um, don't factor that in. A, a couple that are in the, in the runoff. Right. So yeah, I think that is, that is true. And then, and then we have the infamous Beto factor. You know? <laughs> what is the Beto factor, right? Because we talked in 2018, how Beto was really just a huge force in pulling out Democratic voters. So the question is, is this lightning in a bottle? Can, can he ignite the excitement um, that, that he did in the past? Um, but, you know, it's not it's also that it, we're not also looking at Beto in a void either, right? So you've got Beto, and he can surround himself with people like Greg Sassar and and others who really ex can excite voters and help get some voters uh, out to the polls in November. And then ultimately, the last question in my mind is how much are Republicans truly going to invest in Bear County? Or do they think it's in play, or do they think you know our our funds are better spent elsewhere? And that's going to be an interesting decision to see what is, is what comes out of that, right? Because regretfully, um, you know, newsflash, money matters in politics, right? Um, you have to have that to get the mailers to do the social media, to do the commercials and whatnot. And, and so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the Republican Party as, um, as a whole, how much they'd be willing to invest in Bear County if they see it as a lost cause or they see it as you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's the last stand and, uh, you know, never forget the Alamo kind of thing. Is it too early for you to say whether the, whether 
Beto O'Rourke will be able to capture lightning in a bottle again? For me personally, yes. And, and frankly, Greg, it's probably because I really haven't been paying attention. Uh, you know, I've been so focused <laughs> yeah. on local politics that, you know, I mean, I've caught, I, I, I will say this, you know, he did come to San Antonio shortly after he announced, he made his announcement and had that great rally over at the CWA, the Communication Workers of America, which is a great organization. Mm-hmm. And shout out to um, uh, uh, Jeronimo Guerra, who uh, is the president there. And they're extremely active in a lot of races, both locally and statewide. Um, but Beto came and it was supposed to be like low key, just a few people. And next thing you know, it exploded into this, you know, huge rally, which no one really had anticipated. Um, and, and so I kind of feel like there is a thirst for that. There's a thirst for wanting. Um, it, we've come out of a legislative session and we just got the heck beat out of us, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of Democrats, we just got the heck beat out of us. And we want to come back, right? We want to get back in the ring. The bell's rung. Let's get back in the ring and start throwing punches, right? Um, and um, Beto is that sort of, I think he's that, he reinvigors us in some way um, to do that. He is articulate. He, he, he is a good messenger. Um, and let's just see how this turns out. I, I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what he's able to do. I also wonder in an alternative universe what it would have been like to have a Matthew McConaughey on the ballot. <laughs> that would have been an interesting uh, development had that actually yeah, happened. Yeah, but yeah. Um, nonetheless, we have Beto. And I, and I think he still is an exciting, dynamic, interesting guy. And the question is, it, you know, I remember when he ran four years ago for governor that it was literally, you know, you'd go online and say, where's Beto? You just go online and you find him Facebook living for wherever he was. And I guess I wonder if they're going to implement that same kind of strategy because um, there was a, he was very accessible and they had this sort of like, I'm going to hit every county strategy. Um, and I, I wonder if that's what they're going to do this time. And we'll, we'll wait and see how he rolls out his campaign. One of the stories of this primary was the success of young progressives last week, uh, you mentioned Greg Kassar from Austin uh, winning in U.S. District 35, which includes part of San Antonio. Uh, Jessica Cisneros pushing nine-term Congressman Henry Cuer to a, to a runoff in U.S. District 28, which also has a portion of it is in San Antonio. You had uh, State Representative Jasmine Crockett all, nearly avoiding uh, a runoff in U.S. District 30 and finishing first by a wide margin there. Um do you think this is a this is kind of part of a bigger trend that we're seeing that there is this kind of generational um, and ideological change that's happening within the Democratic Party? No, I think it's I think it's something that's always been there. I just think it's the difference of you know now we're having candidates step up to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders did very well in in San Antonio. He did. Um, which is kind of interesting that, you know, that he, that Bernie Sanders would do well in San Antonio, who would have thunk, right? Um, But no, I think what you do, what you're having and what you're seeing is you're seeing these kind of candidates um, step up before where they never have, right? Um, And um, it's exciting to see. They bring some really great ideas there. I, I, I once told someone, I was like, I always thought of myself as progressive. And now I, you know, I woke up one day and went, whoa, maybe I'm not woke. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's it's great to have these you know new young um, faces come to the party because that's how we continue to grow as a party and you know we are the big tent party we are a big tent and um, so it's 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 I I think that these um, feelings and 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 political 
oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? But certainly these political ideologies have always existed in our party. We just probably didn't have the candidates that reflected those. Um, and we're starting to see them surface for a variety of reasons that, you know, obviously um, you've got progressive groups that are, you know, going and, and seeking out candidates and grooming them to run. Um, we Obviously, Greg came out of city council, so you're seeing city council, you know, so we're seeing that here too in San Antonio, where you see young progressives being elected to councils. That can be a stepping stone to the next level. Just a, a quick thing. I mean, do you think that we're seeing these candidacies, like, is it in part a reaction to what's happening with the Republican grassroots? I mean, the the support of Donald Trump and some real signs of extremism is is... is like Greg Kassar's candidacy and Jessica Cisneros, is, is this a response to that in a way? I don't, I don't know if it's a response. I, I think that you've always, we've always had these um, extremes existing in the party. Now mm. we just sort of, I think Donald Trump has allowed them, quite frankly, he's legitimized them, um, at least on that side, because I think that side, the extreme is extremely dangerous. Um, and he's they're 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 saying all the things that they always never said out loud. They're not saying them out loud. Um, this react. So I don't know if this is necessarily a reaction. I mean, I think young people and and fresh ideas always sort of come up from the ground. Um, Gosh, Greg, you would have to ask me the question that's going to put the conundrum on me. Sorry. I, you know, I just, I, I thanks, Greg. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, you know. I, I think, too, that that the the Obama years, um, you know, I think there were probably some young progressives who looked at certain compromises that were made. I mean, I think there are many Democrats who who love what Barack Obama did as president, but then there were also some particularly maybe young younger progressive Democrats who maybe were, were frustrated about certain compromises that were made and maybe in uh, enacting the Affordable Care Act and so on. And, and maybe are maybe coming from that angle of, of thinking, you know, we've compromised too much. I mean, it's a debatable thing. We could spend a whole podcast on it, but I think, I think some of that has come from that. I was going to ask you, Laura, um, just as a political yeah. observer, any predictions on this uh, Jessica C. Snedders, Henry Cuellar race, which so many people around the country are focusing on now? Oh, gosh, you know, um, it's a, I, I, I don't I don't want to just blurt it out. So I'm not going to. I'm just going to say Jessica needs to work really, really, really hard. She needs to work really hard. This is not yeah. a done deal. A lot of folks think that because that third candidate is out, that somehow yeah. she's going to pull this off. And, um, you know, runoffs are difficult. And I think it's, you know, it, it, I think she's coming at it. Um, she's going to have to work harder, <laughs> harder than, than, yeah. than she's ever has before and hope that, yeah. you know, that these um, uh, groups and, and that she gets the money that she needs uh, to win because Cuellar is a force and do not think for one minute that, I mean, if, if, if an FBI investigation does not, <laughs> you know, yeah. bring you, so considerably down in the numbers. I mean, what does that tell you about who he is and the kind of um, connection that he has to his voters? Um, you know, I uh, I think it's um, it's going to be a tough haul for her, and I hope she is able to do what it takes to 
to get it over the finish line. Um, before we wrap things up, I How wanted to not answer. It was good. Um, before we wrap things up, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you, you worked on several races, but, but one of the ones that was most fascinating to yes. me was the 285th district court because you had, um, Lisa Uresti Dasher, who is the daughter of tax assessor collector, Albert Uresti. Um, obviously the, the niece of former state Senator Carlos Uresti and uh, former state representative Tomas Uresti. So a lot of, you've had a lot of elected officials in that family. And she was running against Nadine Nieto, who you were, uh, you were working on her campaign. And this got, this was an unusually contentious race. You had um, your candidate Nadine Nieto alleging that um, Lisa Uresti Dasher had, uh, you know, had false information on her ballot application and, and, uh, should therefore be thrown off the ballot. Um, we ended up having a legal battle over that. And, and Lisa Uresti Dasher stayed on the ballot, but your candidate, Nadine Yetho, won overwhelmingly. Um, we all know that the Uresti name is kind of a, it's a double-edged sword for, I think, for anyone in that family, because, you know, Carlos Uresti is, uh, you know, because of the scandal surrounded him and the fact that he's, he's incarcerated now. Um, and there are some people who resent, you know, the, the, the family and the, and the, the influence that they've had, but at the same time, there's a lot of name recognition there. What do you think were the keys, uh, in your candidate, Nadine Nieto taking that primary? Well, I think at the end of the day, um, just straight up experience, you know, we did a, a, a mailer and a lot of communication around just, you know, how, how many years of practice and then, you know, how many cases they've actually tried in these, in these courts, um, and Nadine by far showed that she had more experience. And I think, you know, voters saw that. And then speaking to the, the Odesti name and, and what it means. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Albert has won his elections countywide pretty handedly um, uh, of late. But he's the tax assessor collector. <laughs> So, you know, it's kind of like when you, you write checks, to, we all write checks to him, which is another thing, which is, I want to go on record saying, why do we write checks to this individual person? Like, why don't we just write it out to Bear County taxes as a collector? But that's another, that's for another podcast friend, because I don't understand that. But um, in any case, um, you know, so while the Uresti, while he's done well, there's still this sense of, you know, that's the tax guy, right? And how positive do you feel around the tax guy? You know, I mean, I, certainly around the property tax guy, right? I mean, even though he's not the one setting property tax rates, um, nevertheless, it's still like, I, you know, every January when I'm writing out my check, it's like, ouch, right? Um, so, and that just kind of goes to his brand and how does that affect his brand? Um, you know, the family is, they've always, and it's not just the name, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll add that, you know, they, they very much have a brand. They've got a color they do with green and the logo. They all use the same. The families always sort of use that same branding for everyone. He's that's run from from Tomas to 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 all of them. Um, and you know, it, it it it's it's just showing that you know maybe folks actually like look into elections. Maybe that we we can give voters a little credit here and say, wow, they actually looked and um, made a decision based on on the facts um, and. And, and I'm very, very, very happy that Nadine um, won that race. Um, she worked really hard and 
it's it was a tough road and it's not over yet but we'll uh we still got to get through the november election she does have a republican uh, primary opponent but this is an important race so well laura barbarina thank you so much for taking time out to to talk with us we always enjoy it we really appreciate it of course it's my pleasure i hope to come back on soon and and just let me know when you want peter to come on i'll be happy to set it up Right. Sounds good. Well, and for everyone out there listening, I uh, hope you're doing well. Take care and we'll be back with you next week. Bye.